The economy is in the gutter. Gas is through the roof. The store shelves are empty. Violent crime is skyrocketing. Our money is rapidly losing value. We're prohibited from participating in much of society without injecting ourselves with an experimental drug. And even when we do inject ourselves with that experimental drug, much of our country remains closed. All on Joe Biden's watch. Most of it at his direction. Which is why the president, who has an anvil of an approval rating at the moment, has enlisted one of America's most likable celebrities to convince the country that everything is going great. If only we're brave enough, brave enough to live through two of the most difficult years many of us can remember, brave enough to pull ourselves up again and again. America is the home of the brave. It's why we keep getting up, no matter how many times we get knocked down, like with our economy. It isn't all the way back, but it's getting stronger. We may be entering year three of a pandemic none of us wanted or expected. We are stronger than we were a year ago today. We're bringing on new drivers. We're expanding. The fear that was there, it's going away. Business is booming. We're strong. We are courageous. We are resilient. We are America, land of the brave. I've long said it's never been a good bet to bet against America. And that's more true today than ever. Forget for a moment how pathetic it is that the president needs to enlist Woody from Toy Story to make people like him. Did you notice the subtle transformation of language? He said, Tom Hanks said that America is the land of the brave. That's not the line. Traditionally, we say that America is the land of the free and the home of the brave. But we can't say that anymore because in Biden's America, the first part is no longer true. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment yesterday from Joseph Campese, who says, I'm glad we agree kids are resilient. Now we can all stop worrying that they'll get the sniffles. You know, because they're so resilient. Great point. Great point. When the liberals like New York's Democrat Governor Kathy Hochul say, hey, don't worry about us masking up kids constantly and forcing them to take this experimental drug and kicking them out of schools and taking them away from their friends and family for two years and, and counting. Don't worry, kids are resilient. You say, oh, kids are resilient. I guess they can handle the cold. I guess they can handle a mild cough. I guess that'll be just fine, especially if they get a good night's sleep. When you want a good night's sleep, I would recommend you check out Bowl and Branch. No one wants to cut corners on what's important, and few things matter more than a good night's rest. Bowl and Branch's signature sheets feel so soft and light, you'll forget you're not actually sleeping on a cloud and they're sustainably made for uncompromising quality from field to factory. I absolutely love Bolin Branch. I have been using them for years. The only reason I didn't want to upgrade my bed from a queen to a king was I was afraid I wouldn't get more Bolin Branch sheets. And then I just did. I just, they're just so wonderful. They're a great, I've bought many uh, versions of the Bolin Branch sheets. Their signature hemmed sheets from Bolin Branch are a bestseller for a reason. Buttery, soft, lightweight, organic cotton in a classic sateen weave for sheets that not only start out soft, they get softer over time. They're really terrific, 100% organic cotton, 30-day risk-free trial, free shipping and returns. Experience the best sheets you've ever felt at BolinBranch.com. Get 15% off your first set of sheets 
when you use promo code Michael at checkout. That's Bolin Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com, promo code Michael. I don't think I'm reading too much into that Tom Hanks video to say that the decision to change land of the free and home of the brave to simply land of the brave was intentional. <laughs> when you are talking about any television commercial, first of all, but certainly when you're talking about a political television commercial, certainly when you're talking about one that involves the president of the United States, every single word, every single syllable is intentional. And the reason that you don't hear any, anything about freedom in that, in that commercial is because it would be preposterous. It's not even that Joe Biden and Tom Hanks wouldn't want to be able to claim that we are more free today than ever. It would just be laughable. It would totally take you out of the commercial because we look around and we say, we're not free at all. Some of our most basic rights that we previously had have been taken away from us and remain in the hands of the Dr. Fauci's of the world. We're talking about personal freedoms. We're talking about political freedoms, right? Not, not only that we can't go run our businesses, not only that we can't walk into a restaurant now in many places without showing our medical history, but our, our political freedoms too. We, we are not even entitled to act through our legislatures very often because when our, when our senators, for instance, go out and they say, we disapprove of this Joe Biden OSHA mandate, well, Dr. Fauci says, who cares? And the head of OSHA says, who cares? And the bureaucrats say, who cares? And then we've got to rely on the Supreme Court to hopefully overturn some of them, but not, but not all of them. We're, we are less free. And if, if you haven't learned by now that the left uses the manipulation of language as its primary means of changing the culture, I can't help you. I can't help you. We've had over half a century of political correctness, wokeness. That's what they're doing. And it's a, it's a terrifying, su- subtle admission from Biden that we are, in fact, less free. Now, that's Biden's approach to dealing with his failed policies is just to pretend that everything is good, to pretend that you're an idiot, to pretend that you don't have eyes, that you can't see what's going on, to get America's famously most likable celebrity to go out and say, no, it's really good. The economy is really good. You're doing great. Everyone's happy. Be happy. Be happy. That's the Biden approach, the complete denial of reality. Gavin Newsom in California has taken the opposite approach to deal with his failed policies. California is falling apart. My old city of Los Angeles is really falling apart. You've got crime through the roof. You've got stores rather boarded up, buildings boarded up. You've got now railroads, railway stations that are getting robbed and looted every single night by criminals that the city and the state do nothing about. When you go to downtown, when you go to Skid Row, it is, it is not just like a third world country. It's much worse than a third world country. And that's exactly the point that Gavin Newsom made when he went to visit. Let me thank everybody behind me. But as uh, Toke said, let me in particular thank all the men and women uh, in orange and yellow uh, for their outstanding work and for uh, moving quickly. I mean, just uh, it was less than 48 hours ago, we said we're coming down. Uh, let's set this thing up. Uh, we had all the lawyers say, well, hold on. It's not your property. Uh, if you get injured, I mean, all, you know, every conceivable thing that makes you frustrated and crazy about government bureaucracy was at play, but everybody worked together. They worked through those issues. We got this memorandum of understanding, uh, and we created a new framework of understanding about our mutual responsibility to address what the hell's going on here. And I say that with emphasis. I see what you see. I see what you've been covering. I see what everybody's seen and asking myself what the hell is going on. 
I mean, look like a third world country, these images, the drone images that were on the nightly news, day in and day out. Some networks weaponizing them for their own, you know, political agenda, and others just reporting the damn news fairly and appropriately. What the hell's going on here in California? What, who the hell's the governor in this place? What the hell kind of policies have you guys been, li- oh, me, it's me, I'm, oh, it's all my policies, oh, whoops. But yeah, someone should vote that guy out, that me, that Gavin Newsom. It's like a third world country here. The only reason I disagree with Gavin Newsom's assessment is that it's not like a third world country. It is significantly worse than a third world country. There are some poor countries that get along basically just fine and they've got decent cohesion and they don't have crime that's skyrocketing through the roof. LA is much worse than that. (laughs) There's very little cohesion. The rule of law is collapsing. And and frankly, even the DAs, even the prosecutors are are not enforcing the law. And then you've got crime everywhere and and people living in filth. And and it's, it's even worse when it's in a rich place, a really rich city, a really rich state. One of the largest economies in the world is just California. Says, what the hell is going on? It is Newsom's fault. It's not entirely Newsom's fault, but it's partially Newsom's fault. And it's certainly the part fault of his party and the Democrat mayor, mayors, and the Democrat prosecutors and the Democrat state representatives. And that, that's been going on for a long time. And so what Newsom's trying to do is evade responsibility. He says, there's no way that I'm going to be able to convince Angelinos and other Californians to look at Skid Row, to look at the railroad yards and, and tell them everything's tickety-boo. So that, because that's not going to work, I'm just going to come out on the other side and I'm just going to start yelling about it. The, the, the thing I find most interesting about this story though, is that what Gavin Newsom has done here is, is exactly what Donald Trump did with regard to immigration that got him in so much trouble. Do you, do you remember, I know it was way, way back, a few years ago, Donald Trump said, why, are we, why do we have these virtually open borders with excrement whole countries? He said, these are S-H-I-T whole countries. And he, they said, how dare you say that? How dare you disparage these countries and say that they're filthy and, and ridden with crime? And then Gavin Newsom just did exactly the same thing. He said, this rail yard is filthy. It's ridden with crime. It's just like a third world country. They said exactly the same thing. And it's not the only. Democrats question the results of elections. They've been doing it for decades now. That's totally fine. That's actually good. That's a defense of democracy. Donald Trump questions the result of the strangest election in our history. Certainly the strangest one in recent history. That's terrible. That's a threat to democracy. And you especially see it with the rhetoric, forget about Gavin Newsom, the rhetoric coming from the current occupant of the Oval Office, who among other terrible things has overseen a huge rise in gas prices, which you can get a little relief from if you check out Get Upside. Are you spending too much money on gas? Yes, you are. I know that. I don't, I may not have spoken to you about it personally, but I know if you're living in America right now, you're spending too much on gas. What if I told you you could get up to 25 cents cash back for every gallon of gas you put in your car? That's actually, that's not true. I want to be totally honest here. You can actually get up to 50 cents per gallon cash back on your first tank when you use promo code Knowles with the GetUpside app. It's a free app. You go to the Google Play app store. You go to the Apple app store, wherever you get your apps, you download the free GetUpside app. 
Use that promo code Knowles. Get up to 50 cents per gallon cash back on your first tank. The cash back is super easy to get. It goes straight into your bank account or it goes to PayPal if you prefer or to an Amazon gift card or a gift card to some other shop. Uh, people who are driving a lot are saving as much as two to $300 per uh, year on this. It's pretty unbelievable. Head on over right now to GetUpside. That is the free GetUpside app. Code Knowles. Save up to 50 cents per gallon on your first tank. Joe Biden. Nice old Uncle Joe. The mature, respectful, responsible adult in the room. Nice guy. The return to normal. Was just asked a totally fair question about immigration by Peter Ducey, member of the White House press pool. And, and Joe Biden got caught on microphone calling him a very naughty name. That's a great asset. More inflation. What a stupid son of a bitch. More inflation. You going to ask me about more inflation? You, you dirty, rotten journalist. You scum of the earth. You, you, you're slime. You're the enemy of the people. You, how dare you ask me a totally fair question, you stupid son of a gun. He didn't say son of a gun. He was nastier than that. First takeaway, Joe Biden is a mean and nasty and small man, and he always has been. And the idea that he's this nice, warm guy who licks ice cream cones and pats little kids on the head is a media contrivance. He's a jerk. He's a mean, nasty, shallow jerk. Don't forget what he did to Corn Pop. Poor Corn Pop over there at the Delaware swimming pool. And Joe Biden was really mean and nasty to him. And he's, and he's been mean and nasty for his whole career. He, he was willing to let Clarence Thomas, be smeared, dragged through the mud on bogus charges, a high-tech lynching. He was happy to do it until Clarence Thomas acknowledged that, called him out on that. At his hearing, finally, Joe Biden relented. Joe Biden, who said that Mitt Romney wants to put black people back in chains. Joe Biden, who a petulant, stupid, uneducated man at, at a presidential debate, interjecting whenever Donald Trump would make a point, say, you're racist, you're racist, you're, 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 you're mean, you're racist. Wor racism is the, it's the worst thing you could call somebody in the country, racist. He keeps doing it. Smeared a 17-year-old kid, Kyle Rittenhouse, call, in a presidential campaign ad, said he was, said he was a racist because it's the worst thing that you can call somebody in America today. Launched his presidential campaign on the lie that Donald Trump called neo-Nazis find people at Charlottesville. He's just a, he's just a dirty, rotten, nasty, ugly man. I don't, I don't know how else to put it. And he says this sort of thing about Peter Ducey. Now, I like Peter Ducey, but journalists can take it. I don't, I don't mind it when politicians go a little hard after journalists. My only problem here is the double standard. Donald Trump calls the press the enemy of the people and you, you see commercials as though, as though the journalists are little orphan children with Sarah McLaughlin playing in the background. You know, you've got Don Lemon and Chris Cuomo in the arms of the angel, you know, like these, these poor little babes where if you besmirch their high honor, you know, at CNN, that it's somehow you're threatening our constitution. But then this jerk gets asked a completely fair question about why inflation is going through the roof, historic decades high inflation. Said, you stupid son of a bitch. How dare you ask me about why you're doing this? But I guess, I guess, one of the reasons why Joe Biden is so on edge right now, other than his uh, 
<laughs> manifest senility, is that right now we may see war break out in Ukraine. We might see a Russian invasion of Ukraine and we might be involved in that war. Joe Biden, according to reports, is considering sending several thousand U.S. troops over to Ukraine. Joe Biden has ordered the families of embassy personnel in Ukraine to leave the country to return home. He's considering sending warships and aircraft. And then actually we, we found out from the Pentagon yesterday, it's not just going to be several thousand troops who could be deployed. The number is as high as 8,500. As you're all aware, the United States is deeply concerned about the current situation in Europe. We remain keenly focused on Russia's unusual military activities near the Ukrainian border, including in Belarus, and consulting extensively with our transatlantic allies and partners. The department continues to support diplomatic efforts to de-escalate the situation. Now, as the president has said, even as we continue to prioritize diplomacy and dialogue, we must also increase readiness. Secretary Austin has placed a range of units in the United States on a heightened preparedness to deploy, which increases our readiness to provide forces if NATO should activate the NRF or if other situations develop. All told, the number of forces that the secretary has placed on heightened alert uh, comes up to about 8,500 personnel. In the event of NATO's activation of the NRF or a deteriorating security environment, the United States would be in a position to rapidly deploy additional brigade combat teams. So this is pretty serious, and I'm not, I'm not sure that this is just a bluff from the Biden administration. This, this, seems to be, this seems to be a little bit more serious than that. And the, the situation is rapidly deteriorating there. There seem to be two schools of thought on this. There, there seem to be only two opinions that you're allowed to have on the right when you look at Ukraine. Either you have to be a complete isolationist, non-interventionist. There is no reason ever to interfere in any country if we are not directly at existential risk. Pull all the troops home from everywhere in the world. Don't, don't interfere anywhere. That's on one hand. And then on the other hand, is the Bush era neocon never met a country that didn't want to bomb intervene every single place in the world for the vague expansion of democracy and so that we can raise pride flags in Kandahar. Those are, according to our popular discourse, the only two views you're allowed to have. May I offer a third perspective here? This is my, this is my third radical perspective on Ukraine and foreign policy generally. Foreign policy is very complicated. That's my ambitious, shocking analysis. Do you care about Ukraine? Maybe you do. Probably you don't. Should we go to war with Russia over Ukraine? Well, what does war mean? Does that mean we're going to invade Moscow? Probably not. Does it mean, does it mean a land war even in Ukraine? I don't know. Maybe. Does it mean sanctions and air support? I don't know. Possibly. What is at stake? What is the American interest at stake in Ukraine? I'm not so sure, but I do know that before we went to war in other countries within the past decade, we didn't really have a good sense of what our interests were. And then very often we made things worse. I'm thinking of Libya, for instance. Do you remember we had to go into Libya? Why? I don't know, because Hillary Clinton said we did. And it was very important to go into Libya. And then what happened? We got rid of Muammar Gaddafi because he's a bad, he was a bad guy. We got rid of Gaddafi. And then what happened? Things in Libya 
got worse. They didn't seem to get all that much better. What about Syria? We were told we had to go in and get rid of Bashar Assad in Syria. Why did we have to get rid of Bashar Assad? Well, because he's a bad guy. Okay, he's a bad guy. Who's the good guy who's going to take over? Show me the good guy. I don't see a lot of good guys. In fact, Bashar Assad, his many sins notwithstanding, actually did a fairly decent job of killing terrorists, at least some of the time. What's our interest? What do we really want to see in Syria? Do you remember, this is my favorite one, there was a meme going around the internet about 10 years ago. Coney 2012. Coney 2012. For those younger listeners out there, you won't remember this. This was the hot. We all had to band together to stop a warlord in Africa named Joseph Coney because he did bad things, I guess. But no, and everyone got really riled up and we had to go and let's go send in the 101st Airborne. And, and then what? I don't know. We don't even know. I don't even know what happened to Coney. Foreign policy is very, very complicated. Do you, Ukraine is one of the most conquered areas in the world. Ukraine has been conquered by Russia, by Tsarist Russia, by Soviet Russia, by the Austro-Hungarian Empire, by the Ottoman Empire, by the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth. Poland, also one of the most conquered territories in the history of the world, conquered Ukraine. Ukraine means borderland. It derives from the Slavic word for borderland. It's going to be conquered again. And and then someone else is going to conquer it. And maybe it goes independent for a while. It's it's very complicated. And then furthermore, there is a, a very real critique of American adventurism that I think we need to keep in mind, which is we, we are not allowed to defend our own border. We must. It is an existential threat to America if we do not defend the current border of Ukraine, which has existed for about five minutes. But we are not allowed to defend the southern border of the United States. That, you just can't do it. It's not possible. The courts won't let us. The activists won't let us. The global elite won't let us. The big business interests won't let us. Can't do that. For whatever reason, we, the mightiest military power in the history of the world, can't secure the Rio Grande, but it is of dire importance that we fly over and send our ships over to Ukraine to prevent a potential Russian incursion to its traditional sphere of influence. You can't keep that up forever, folks. I am somewhat sympathetic to the argument that we don't want Russia to encroach on Ukraine, that it's not good for our interests to let Russia move further out. But empires cannot neglect their homeland to focus on far-flung holdings forever. You You can't do that forever. If you do not have some internal cohesion, if you do not have some sense of of the national interests at stake, if you do not have a common understanding of what a national interest even is, and certainly if you don't have a common set of values that you are allegedly sending abroad, then it's very, very difficult to project influence. We don't even know what that influence would be. And so the, the people who want to project American imperial strength around the world, okay, fine, that's all well and good. But you can't do it by completely neglecting the homeland forever. And that's why we're in a bind in Ukraine. It's not, it's not safe. It's not a very safe situation. When you want to keep your household safe, though, I would strongly recommend you check out Ring. You all know about the Ring video doorbell by now. Here's something you might not know. Ring makes an alarm. Ring makes an award-winning alarm system that's this great home security system available with professional monitoring. Best of all, 
you can easily install it yourself. It's simple to set up. It's easy to use. You get all the sensors for motion, doors, and windows that will work on any house or apartment just like yours. I love it. Ring makes me feel so much safer, especially when I'm on the road, knowing that sweet little Elisa and my cute little baby June are protected, especially when we're all on the road. When I know that our home is protected, not just from bad guys, but from flood, from freeze, from fire too. Head on over right now. Go check out the award-winning Ring Alarm. Go to ring.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S, to get a great deal on the Ring Alarm security kit today. That is ring.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. You can thank me later for keeping your home and your family safe. Also, get ready for some laughs because the next episode of Adam Carolla's Daily Wire exclusive comedy series, Truth Yeller, airs tomorrow. It's really, really funny. Adam mocks Hunter Biden and the way our overlords are uh, training your kids and is joining by comedian T.J. Miller. He is joined, rather, by comedian T.J. Miller. Head over to dailywire.com slash watch tomorrow. Dailywire.com slash subscribe is where you can go. Use code Miller, M-I-L-L-E-R, for 25% off your membership. Look out for the new episode with T.J. Miller dropping tomorrow. Also, it's true, right now, We are not only going into the media, we're not only going into the movies, we're going into publishing too. DW Books, we're proud to be publishing two books that are actively fighting the left's monopoly on storytelling. The first is 12 Seconds in the Dark by Sergeant Mattingly. The book is the true story of what really happened the night of the Breonna Taylor shooting. Mattingly, a 20-year police veteran, takes his readers inside his department's response and debunks the lies that have recklessly been shared with the public. DW Books is also publishing Fiery But Mostly Peaceful by Julio Rosas, who pulls back the curtain and sets the record straight on the BLM riots that broke out across the country in 2020. Rosas, who is reporting from the ground, gives his firsthand experience at the riots and exposes the media's attempts to convince Americans that the fatal and destructive riots were peaceful. Both are available for pre-order now on Amazon or anywhere you buy books online. We'll be right back with a lot more. Speaking of the Russians, former House Speaker and former presidential candidate Newt Gingrich has a really great idea, if you ask me. And the idea is this. If Republicans retake the House of Representatives, then the members of the Democrat January 6th committee could find themselves getting subpoenaed. You're going to have a Republican majority in the House and a Republican majority in the Senate. And all these people who've been so tough and so mean and so nasty are going to be delivered subpoenas for every document, every conversation, every tweet, every email, uh, because I think it's clear that these are people who are literally just running over the law, pursuing innocent people, causing them to spend thousands and thousands of dollars in legal fees for no justification. And it's basically a lynch mob. And unfortunately, the Attorney General of the United States has joined that lynch mob and is totally misusing the FBI. And I think when you have a Republican Congress, this is all going to come crashing down and the wolves are going to find out that they're now sheep. And they're the ones who are, in fact, going to, I think, face a real risk of jail uh, for the kind of laws they're breaking. That's the spirit. Whenever you want a good pep talk, whenever you want some encouragement, Newt Gingrich is one of the guys to do it because what Newt understands is that you've got to fight back. You cannot have unilateral disarmament. I don't want to live in a country 
where we are regularly throwing our opponents into orange jumpsuits. I think that's bad. I think that's really bad for civilization, bad for our country. But if we're living in a country where the left is doing that, we need to do it too. It's the only way we're going to get rid of it. If we allow them to get, get away with this sort of stuff with impunity, then we're sunk. That, that is no way to fight. This is, this is what some of the squish Republicans have suggested in the past. They say, well, we can't, we can't fight back against what the left is doing because if we did that, we would basically just become the left, you know? Like, like if the left, they especially do this with wielding political power, they'll say, if the left, golly, if the left wields political power to do evil things, and then we come around and wield political power to do good things, why, that would make us no different than the left. Um, I think it would make you pretty different, actually. I think it would make you the kind of the opposite of the left, because evil and good are the opposite. Well, if the left uses their political leverage to peddle falsehoods, and we then use it to peddle truths, we would be the same. No, you would be different. You'd be the opposite, because truth and falsehood are the opposite, actually, <laughs> because procedure is not all that there is. Substance is important in politics too. And what Newt is saying is he's saying, turn that January 6th commission right back on him. It's a preposterous premise. It is a vindictive, if, if not illegal, highly legally dubious committee. It's entirely partisan, which is not in keeping with the traditions of our Congress. So just get rid of it. Get rid of it and go after them hard. I love that. No unilateral disarmament. It's important in foreign policy. It's important in domestic policy too. Got to keep up the heat. Great news from the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court has just agreed to hear a pair of cases that will challenge race-based affirmative action policies for college admissions, specifically at Harvard and the University of North Carolina. The, The cases will most likely be argued next term. This is a really important case because affirmative action is manifestly illegal. Even the justices who upheld affirmative action the last time one of these cases was brought to the court, even they admitted, it's not kosher. You got to get rid of it. We'll deal with it for now because we want to engage in some radical social engineering, but it, it has to be time limited. That big case was Grutter v. Bollinger. And in that case, Sandra Day O'Connor, who was the swing vote, who swung the case in favor of affirmative action against the rule of law, even though she was a conservative appointee, she said, we are mindful, however, that a core purpose of the 14th Amendment was to do away with all governmentally imposed discrimination based on race. Accordingly, race conscious admissions policies must be limited in time. Hold on, period. I'm going to pause for a second. She's acknowledging that the 14th Amendment says no affirmative action right? Because affirmative action is discrimination based on race. And frankly, the only reason these cases are even making it up to the court is because they not only discriminate against white people, but against Asian people too. If they were just discriminating against white people, that is perfectly accepted by the culture. That is actually encouraged by the culture. It's enshrined in law and no one really says boo about it. But because the laws also discriminate against Asians, which seems kind of weird, this is now going up to the courts and you remember the last time this happened, Sandra Day O'Connor says, look, the 14th Amendment says no affirmative action, but 
Therefore, we're going to limit it in time. No, don't limit it in time. Stop it now. It's illegal. So stop it. You're admit, but no, we want it to go on a little while longer. This requirement of limiting it in time reflects that racial classifications, however compelling their goals, are potentially so dangerous that they may be employed no more broadly than the interest demands. Enshrining a permanent justification for racial preferences would offend this fundamental equal protection principle. We see no reason to exempt race-conscious admissions programs from the requirement that all governmental use of race must have a logical end point. The law school, too, concedes that all race-conscious programs must have reasonable durational limits. Okay. Whatever the bogus argument last time this came up 20 years ago, clearly we're past that time or we're right around that time. At the time, Sandra Day O'Connor said, I don't know, about 25 years probably. Why? I don't know, because I'm plucking that out of thin air, but that's why. About 25 years, we got to get rid of affirmative action. We're almost there. We're almost at that time. It's time to do it. Now is not the time to go weak. You might think, some of the squishes will think, look, we're trying to overturn Roe versus Wade. Maybe if the court overturns Roe versus Wade, then maybe they can go a little weaker on affirmative action and that'll keep everybody happy. Sort of like in the Supreme Court cases on the vaccine mandates. Maybe if we stop the OSHA mandate, but we keep the healthcare mandate, maybe then everyone will be kind of happy. Well, that, that I think would have the worst possible effect. Because what the court wants to seem like it's doing is not playing politics. But when the court is making those kinds of arguments, it's completely playing politics, right? It's simply saying, we want to make the Republicans happy here and the Democrats happy here, which totally tarnishes the credibility of the court. Follow the law. The law is relatively clear, as clear as it could be. Follow it. Even the people who upheld this stuff say the law was pretty clear. And we need to make clear to the court, which reads the newspapers, that this is what we expect. We expect the overturning of Roe versus Wade, and we will not accept anything less. And we expect the ending of affirmative action, which is manifestly illegal. Now, speaking of personnel decisions, we're talking about affirmative action or modern broadcasting. Neil Young, Neil Young, aged Canadian hippie, well-known whiner of such songs as helpless, helpless, old man, take a look at my life. He's, you know, he's been around for a very long time. Not quite as popular now as he once was. Looks crazier than ever. Neil Young is demanding that Spotify make a choice. It's either him or Rogan. Because Neil Young believes that Joe Rogan is spreading fake news about the vaccines. This is very, very dangerous. And so Neil Young says, I'm going to have you take my music off. If you don't, you mirror him. It's not, it's sort of like a, oh boy. I'm not, I'm not, it's not quite, it's not my best Neil Young impression, but it's not that far off. He says, <clears throat> I'll do this in my ordinary voice. I am doing this because Spotify is sp- spreading fake information about vaccines, potentially causing death to those who believe the disinformation being spread by them. Please act on this immediately today and keep me informed of the time schedule. I want Spotify to uh, know today that I want all my music off their platform. They have Rogan or Young, not both. It's a really tough choice. Really tough choice for Spotify. Do you go with a whiny old hippie who hasn't been particularly relevant since the 70s or the most popular broadcaster in the entire world? Who do you pick? Who do you pick? Do you pick this angry guy with admittedly like seven or eight hit songs? More, maybe more. Maybe that's not fair with a, you know, a dozen or so really popular songs, or Joe Rogan, the single most popular man with a microphone on planet earth right now. 
Neil Young, I'm sure, makes Spotify several hundred dollars a month. And Joe Rogan brings them in gazillions of dollars a minute. I suspect they're going to go with Rogan. That's what I would guess. Part of the reason they should go with Rogan is that Neil Young is just wrong on the merits here. Joe Rogan has spread much, much, much less scientific misinformation about COVID than has Dr. Fauci, than has Rochelle Walensky, than has Joe Biden. All of those people spread misinformation about the masks, about the vaccines, about the virulence of the virus, about the risk of the virus to other people, about the transmissibility, about all of it. And the way I know that they've spread misinformation is that they have held contradictory sides of all of those issues. Don't wear the masks, they don't work. Do wear the masks, you need to wear them. The vaccines stop infection and transmission. The vaccines don't stop infection and transmission. The vaccines are totally safe. The vaccines actually have some side effects and we're going to pause some of the vaccines sometimes. The cloth masks do work, right? They kept that one up from the first. And, but actually the cloth masks don't really do very much. They're nothing but a facial decoration. That's what the CNN medical analysts said. On and on and on and on and on. Joe Rogan, much more consistent, much less misinformation than all of that. And the procedure is preposterous for him to say it's, it's him or me. Well, an important lesson in politics is know your leverage. Know your leverage, buddy. Ain't nobody going to be missing Neil Young. I actually kind of like Neil Young songs. Okay, I guess I won't listen to them now. Okay, that's not, not a huge loss. Plus, I can listen to Clapton and Van Morrison, who have a decent head on their shoulders. Speaking of weird hippie stuff, the ruling class really, really wants us to eat bugs. They, they really want it. This has become a meme People will say, I will not live in the pod. I will not eat the bugs. I will not consume. And, and the ruling class keeps trying to force us to do it. They don't want us to live in nice big houses. They don't want us to go to work and to our community and to our church and to stores. They want us to live in a tiny little pod in a metropolitan area. And they want us to eat bugs. From Bloomberg, why bugs must have a bigger part of the human food chain. They're fine for snacking, but insect protein, <laughs> I like how they just assume that part. Yeah, sure, they're fine for snacking, but we need to do more of that. Uh, hold on, I'm a little skeptical of the first premise. They write, quote, humans have been consuming edible insects from crickets and grasshoppers to fire ants and termites since before the dawn of civilization. About 80% of the world's population throughout Asia, Africa, and Latin America continues to eat bugs today. That's true. I think that's true. But I think they're hiding the ball a little bit. I th- because I think the operative word here is before. You're saying people ate bugs before civilization. That's true. And then we got civilization. And civilization's pretty great, guys. I love civilization. I, now, what they're saying, though, is even after the dawn of civilization in the civilized world, some places continued to eat bugs, such as in Asia and Africa and Latin America. First of all, this is painting with a very, very broad brush. There are lots of people who are wealthy, who have been civilized, who have interactions, say, with the West, who are in Asia, Africa, and Latin America, who don't eat bugs. But it's true. There are some very, very poor people 
some tribal people, there are many tribal people actually in all of those places who still eat bugs and who live in a very uncivilized way. That's bad. We shouldn't want to do that. I don't, I don't want to live like a peasant in the middle of some jungle in Vietnam. I want to live like a civilized person with the cultural inheritance that our forebears gave us, this beautiful thing that we are squandering. But it's not, look, I'm going to continue to do that. I'm not going to eat the bugs. The bugs are gross. And guess what? The people pushing this, Mike Bloomberg, he ain't going to eat the bugs. Bill Gates, he ain't going to eat the bugs. All the Hollywood celebrities, all the global political elites, none of them are going to eat the bugs. They don't want to because bugs are gross. They're going to eat filet mignon. They're going to eat caviar. They're going to eat foie gras. And you, you dirty, rotten peasants, you're going to eat the buds, the bugs, and you're going to live in your pod, and you're not going to own anything, and you're going to like it, by golly. You see this kind of logic, especially with climate change. No, now it's called climate crisis before that climate catastrophe, before that climate change, before that global warming, before that global cooling. Leonardo DiCaprio, one of the most vociferous global warming alarmists in the world. He just made that that alarmist movie about global warming called Don't Look Up. It was ostensibly about a meteor, but it was really about global warming as the filmmaker and the whole cast admit. Leonardo DiCaprio, speaking about the movie, he said, I've had two great passions in my life. That has been acting and the protection of the natural world and getting the message out about the climate crisis. Okay, he's, he's on crisis. That's the current one. I've had a foundation for 20 years. I, I got to go to Glasgow. I got to see world leaders make some pretty substantial commitments, much like this movie. There is a ticking clock. I think there's a worldwide sense of anxiety about the fact that the powers that be, the private sector, the governments are not making the transition fast enough. We literally have a nine-year window. Set your clocks. Nine years, that's what he's saying. Now, I guess it was only about three or four years ago that AOC claimed that we had 12 years. So we're rough. Maybe they're trying to pick up an extra year there, but we're basically on track. Okay, the nine years, it's over. In nine years, set your clocks. That's what, 20, 2031. I don't want to hear about it anymore because then it's over. There's nothing to do. Nine years, that's all you get. You can run your mouth for nine more years and whine and complain and try to manipulate the public and take all their rights and take all their property and reorder their way of, you can try it for nine more years, but then I don't want to hear it because you just promised me it's over in nine years. So good, it's over. Now, of course it won't be over. They've, since at least the seventies, really end of the world predictions have been going on since the dawn of time. Uh, but the modern environmentalist end of the world predictions have been going on for, I don't know what, about 150 years or so. And then the modern version of it, overpopulation, global warming, the ozone, that's been going on for about 60, 70 years. And they, every time they say, we've only got 10 more years, we've only got 10 more years. In the 19, in early 1970s, they said, we've only got 10 more years before there are inevitably global famines because of overpopulation. Didn't happen. The opposite happened. The global population doubled. Malnutrition hit an all-time low, but that's it. Thankfully, we don't really hear too much about overpopulation anymore. They're trying to bring it back with the weird bug stuff, but that has that also has more to do with the weather and the climate and the crisis and whatever. My question for Leonardo DiCaprio is, you got to Glasgow. You got to go see these global leaders make the commitments. How'd you get there? How'd you get to Glasgow? 
did you did you take a ship? Did you did you canoe? Did you did you fly commercial even? No, you didn't. You flew a private jet. Because you fly private jets everywhere because you consume a whole lot of electricity. We're now told that this is a bad argument. No, you can't come on, stop pointing that out. It doesn't matter. It's like it's like saying you're not racist because you have a black friend. Yeah, that's a good argument too, buddy. Your behavior actually does tell you a lot more about what you actually think than some stupid preaching that you give to news magazines or on television. Leonardo DiCaprio does not live as though the world is going to end from global warming, sorry, climate crisis in nine years. He's not behaving that way because he doesn't really believe it. He wants you to live that way, but he doesn't want to live that way himself. The other lesson we got to take from them The left is always good at making everything seem super urgent. Everything always seems like a crisis. And the right doesn't do that. We're pretty calm. Even with abortion, where a million babies a year are being killed almost, we we just kind of take it. We're peaceful about it. We're We're very calm. We're very... The left doesn't do that. They're very angry. They get very... They get in your face. They say the whole world is going to end. And actually, sometimes the left is not peaceful. Sometimes the left does not follow the law. I think we certainly should be peaceful. We certainly should follow the law. But maybe let's turn up the urgency a little bit. Maybe let's learn a little bit from their rhetoric. Now, speaking of adopting the left's agenda, really, really sad news from George Will. George Will is a formerly conservative columnist. He was kind of the conservative columnist for decades. And then he became more of a libertarian in recent years. And now he he looks... He looks somewhat liberal on a lot of issues. I think he may have voted for Biden. Could be wrong. Don't don't quote me. He certainly didn't vote for Trump. He hates Trump. Left the GOP over Trump. Well, now he's come out and endorsed assisted suicide. Assisted suicide. George Will writes, The Economist magazine, true to its classical liberal tradition, recently praised the welcome spread of assisted dying for advancing a basic freedom that is now legal in one form or another in a dozen countries. And Will acknowledges there's a slippery slope here, and there are a lot of risks that are coming around with this, such as, I don't know, pressuring your old, older family members to just go on and kill themselves and stop being a burden to you, those sorts of things. Making people feel like they're old and, and just useless and ought to just kill themselves because they're, they're no longer adding to the GDP. And, and George Will says, life is lived on a slippery slope. Taxation can become confiscation. Police can become instruments of tyranny. Laws can metastasize suffocatingly. However, taxation, police, and laws are indispensable. The challenge is to minimize dangers that cannot be entirely eliminated from society. Okay, that's fair enough. I grant that's true. All those examples he gives can become, they they are on a slippery slope. They can become very terrible, but they're indispensable of society. But this is a really stupid argument because assisted suicide is not indispensable to society. It's always wrong. In the Netherlands, just in recent years, an old woman was held down and killed against her will because she he had she had assented to it at one point and then in the moment when they were about to kill her she pushed back she was fighting the family and the doctors held her down and they killed her and then also in the Netherlands a 29 year old woman did not suffer from some terminal cancer some illness that was going to kill her in six months she just had anxiety she just had depression some eating disorders and do you know what happened they let her kill herself 29 years old in 2014 Belgium became the first country to authorize children to request assisted suicide if they suffer a terminal disease or understand the consequences of the act. Children, assisted suicide. Children have a moody day. They have, they go through some 
psychological trouble, they kill themselves at basically any age. This is not conservative. This leads to horrible abuses. This is not going to make a good flourishing country. If you want a flourishing country, if you want to be able to project strength abroad, if you want to be able to have strength at home, the basic thing is you need to not kill yourself. Okay. You need to live. You need to order your society toward flourishing. And at the most basic level, don't kill yourself. And when even the nominal conservatives are pushing this stuff, you know, we're in a really, really bad spot. I'm Michael Knowles. This is the Michael Knowles show. See you tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Klavan Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Supervising producer, Mathis Glover. Production manager, Pavel Vidovsky. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Associate producer, Justine Turley. Audio mixer, Mike Coromina. And hair and makeup by Cherokee Hart. Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2022. Today on the Ben Shapiro Show, Joe Biden calls Peter Ducier stupid son of a b- And the same media that screamed about Trump seem perfectly happy with it. That's today on the Ben Shapiro Show. Give it a listen. Mm-hmm.